Good evening, saints. My brothers and I greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by way of introduction, I'd like to um, uh, introduce those who will be serving on the rostrum here this evening and participating in our service. On your left is Elder Tom Carnahan from the Buckner Restoration Branch who will be giving our invocation. Behind me is Elder Jared Smith from the South Chrysler Restoration Branch who will be bringing our spoken word this evening. And then on your right is Elder Brian O'Neill from the New Jerusalem Restoration Branch who will be bringing our benediction. I am Elder Brett Stevenson from the New Jerusalem Restoration Branch. Now, also I should uh, mention that our pianist this evening is Haley Stevenson and our young people and our young adults who have yet to sing uh, will be bringing the special music and have brought the special music uh, for us this night and their teachers have prepared them, Brenda Williams and Gina Stevenson. In reality, every one of us has a responsibility in this service tonight because we have not only come to hear a good sermon and feel the spirit, which is a good thing, but we've come to enter into a period of worship with our Heavenly Father. And that includes every single one of us here. To, uh, to feel his spirit, and this is a very profound statement that we heard this morning in our class offered by our teacher, and also gave some very uh, profound quotes from a, a respected apostle in the church, Arthur Oakman, and Franklin Weddell, who wrote a book, O Worship the King, he said that feeling the spirit is really just the beginning of worship. And it's a beginning on a course or a path that leads us to be taught by the Lord himself revealing through the word and through the worship experience a greater reality of, of who he is. And I'd like to uh, just rehearse for us because I think it's worth, worth repeating five things that had to do with the nature of worship that were found in this, this book that I mentioned. One is the quickening of the conscience by the holiness of God, is the feeding of our minds by his truth, is the cleansing of our imaginations by his beauty, is the opening of our hearts to the pure love of God and it's the surrender of our will. And there are things that each of us can do uh, to help enhance that uh, nature of worship as we enter into this period and have already begun. We know that the formalities or rituals of our worship that typically include music and, and prayer are all a very important and integral part of that worship experience. But the things that really uh, fall upon us individually as we come, and I anticipate that many of you have um, made preparations, have given prayer, have started to set aside the distractions of the day, to ignore the elements of the weather behind us, as, uh, around us as, as much as possible. But some of the things that we can do is that in the theater of our minds, we establish the Lord Jesus up high on the throne, where the host of heaven sitting beside his Father on the right hand, where the host of heaven are singing praises to him, 
and adoration and worship him, him all day long. Another thing that we can do also is to consider our own nothingness before him. This was a great revelation that came to Moses that we have recorded in section 22 of the Doctrine and Covenants when he had that experience upon the mount. And the glory of the Lord was upon him, and then it withdrew for hours, as it says, and Moses was left to himself. And he makes this profound statement, and he says, and for this cause, I know that man is nothing, for he had never considered that thing. And here Moses was a very uh, meek and humble man to begin with, and to come to this revelation of his own nothingness was an even greater and profound revelation to him. So as we consider our Lord who reigns on high, who is holy and just, and we consider that we have been made from the dust of the earth, and that we are nothing, although we are very special uh, in his creation, and he loves everyone very dearly. And inasmuch as we are willing tonight to consecrate our mind's attention to the things which are shared with us, and as much as we lift him up in our hearts, this all serves to foster a spirit of worship, which is a collective effort and act that, that, um, that we enter into at this time. And I want to just provide one other quote, I think, that, that goes along with this idea pretty well from the same, same book. It says, worship is an elevating experience which paves the way for a greater acceptance and understanding of the sermon. I know that our brother Jared has uh, prepared and given much thought and preparation, study and prayer uh, for this evening service. And I trust that we will give him our attention, continue to uphold him in prayer, and see what the Lord has to reveal to each and every one of you individually. Because we don't want to come here and leave and say, that was a good sermon, and feel good about it. It needs to have a meaningful impact in our life, and it may be more meaningful and different to each and every one of us, depending on the circumstances of our lives. So as we enter in and continue to enter into our, our period of worship, uh, let's consider these things. And let's also consider Psalm 99. I'd like to read that for you, and then we'll have a season of, of singing here. The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubim, let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the people. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. The king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Moses and Aaron among his priests, and Samuel among them that call upon his name, they called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. Thou answerest them, O Lord our God, thou wast the God that forgavest them. Though thou tookest vengeance on their inventions, exalt the Lord our God 
and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Let us continue in our worship with the singing of hymn number 440 in our hymnals. We'll stand for the singing of this, and after that, Elder Tom Carnahan will give us an invocation. Hymn 440. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your Son. We're grateful for this opportunity to come together in this place which is holy and set apart for services such as this. 
Father, we pray that you be with us this hour as we've already felt thy spirit, that it may continue to be with us here this evening and beyond. We ask that you bless our brother Jared, that as he speaks, Lord, that his mind and his heart and those things that he has prepared, might he be able to share, might we be receptive, and may our hearts be open to receive that which you have for us, O Lord. We look up unto thee and we ask forgiveness for our many sins and shortcomings. Lord, we ask that nothing would stand in the way of a blessing at this time, in this hour, in this place. That we might come from here more edified and more in tune with you. That we may be different from that which we hear. Even if it just be a small difference, Lord, we know that this brings us closer to your kingdom. And so, Lord, we ask these things in thy most holy and precious name, even Jesus Christ. Amen. A couple scripture readings for you this evening. Uh, as my topic this evening is revolves around diligence and knowledge, I'm going to read out of the uh, Doctrine and Covenants section 6, starting verse 9, verse 9 and B. And it reads, Be faithful and diligent in keeping the commandments of God, and I will encircle thee in the arms of my love. And then over out of the book of John, chapter 17, a very famous verse we all know, John 17, 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. May God bless us this evening as we would seek to come in to the presence of the Almighty God.
I have so enjoyed sitting up here and listening to the music this evening. I love to hear the saints sing. It always brings peace to my soul. And if we were to have a song service that lasted the whole hour, I would be very content with that. I love to hear the children sing. And the youth. And I know the Lord is pleased this evening. In our efforts to have our hearts be right before him. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is really about what takes place inside of here. Yeah, we have this outward world we live in, but it's the inward world, it's the world that's within us that the Lord is so vitally interested in. And that's the world that uh, many times we don't want to go there. We don't want to go into that world. So this evening I've been tasked with uh, to talk to you a little bit about diligence and knowledge. And before I do that, though, I want to share an experience I had just last night here. I was visiting with some people, and I saw my wife standing right over here, and uh, she was visiting with uh, Sister Amy Brown. Of course, we all know that Sister Amy and her sisters, they lost their father, Bob. And so I saw them visiting over there, and I walked over, and I stood beside my wife. And I began to listen to what Amy was saying. And she was expressing to these uh, ladies that were around here, and I was there then, she was expressing how difficult it was to watch her father deteriorate and she said and it got down to where he had no dignity and when she said that word in my mind's eye I saw Jesus Christ on the cross I saw him crucified between two thieves. And I saw this terrible, ugly, unattractive death, a death that had absolutely no dignity. And I realized that the Lord was reaching out to Bob even in this time where he maybe didn't understand, in this time that was very difficult, in this time that was hard, the Lord was reaching out to him and calling him to come in to this fellowship with his son, even the fellowship of his sufferings. And I think, brothers and sisters, that that fellowship that God has for his saints 
that uh, we really can't in our minds begin to grasp what that really means, what that really looks like, what that, what that means to us, what God has for us as saints as we're willing to yield our hearts to him. So God was there in the hard times, in the difficult times, in those ugly times, in those times when we think he's totally gone, he is there and he is aware and he is calling. He is calling us up to this higher ground as Latter-day Saints. Jesus was the man who turned the water into wine. He fed the 5,000. He healed the blind. He healed the lepers. He walked on water. He even raised Lazarus from the dead. And yet with all of that, he was unable to save himself. Others he could save, but himself he could not save. In Lecture 5, Lectures of Faith, it says, And is called the Son because of the flesh, and descended in suffering below that which man can suffer, or in other words, suffered greater sufferings, and was exposed to more powerful contradictions than any man can be. More powerful contradictions. We have a God that understands our every need, every single need, everything about you, God understands because his son took upon him flesh and blood and lived this life and gave himself as a sacrifice for us. So before I jump into uh, this uh, topic of uh, diligence, and the knowledge I wanted to share just a little bit. I feel like I'm a guest speaker, and I am, I guess. I, I don't tend to button your branch, and I wanted to share a little bit about my background and share some uh, experiences that I've had uh, related to this campground. Um, uh, way, way, way back, I grew up in the RLDS Church, and my father was pastor at the Oak Grove RLDS Church, and we were part of the Central Missouri Stake, Central Missouri. And, um, and we had this campground. This was our campground back then. It was the RLDS campground. And we, so I grew up going to camps here. And I grew up and I went to nine youth camps. I went to two junior boys camps. I went to three junior high camps. And then I went to four senior high camps. So I made every year. And that tells you how much I loved to go to those camps. It was a big deal in my life. And I always enjoyed it. And I always looked forward to it. But one of those camps, of course, stands kind of head and shoulders above the rest one of them, and that was my last year at junior high camp. Okay, my last year at junior high camp, I went, and somehow the Lord opened up the windows of heaven to me, and I just, I just had an amazing, an amazing experience. It was so amazing that when the week was done, I didn't want to go home. I dreaded seeing the parents drive in. We were having our closing service, and I knew the parents were coming in, and I dreaded that. I didn't, I didn't want to go home because it was so beautiful. It was so amazing. And I had a good friend of mine that was kind of experiencing the same thing, and we kind of went through this together as young men, 12 or 13 years old, I guess, at the time. And we didn't want to leave. It was so beautiful. It was just amazing how beautiful it was. And, and I don't know that I really understood 
why it was so beautiful, why it was so good. What about this camp that made it so wonderful? And it wasn't until I was in college and I was rooming with this guy that I'd been with at this camp and somehow in our dorm room down there at Warrensburg, we were at Warrensburg and we were talking to each other and this camp came up. And he says, you know, at that camp, he says, we, we, just, we volunteered for everything. If they need tables moved, we move tables. If they need the bathroom scrubbed, we, bath, we scrubbed the bathrooms. If they need the campfire built, we built the campfire. If they needed chairs, tables, whatever. If they asked something, we raised our hands and we did it. And it began to dawn on me what happened. I didn't know. All those years, I didn't know. But I began to lose myself. I lost myself in service to those who were around me. Totally lost myself. And the Lord opened up the windows of heaven and blessed me with an amazing, an amazing experience. One I'll never forget. It was so, so powerful. In fact, I wanted, I wanted to go back so bad I, I cried myself to sleep at night the next couple weeks. Now I'm in a room that's 10 by 10 with two brothers, right? So you gotta cry really quietly so they don't hear you. But I cried myself to sleep because I wanted to go back. It was so meaningful to me in that. And it was such a beautiful experience. But I know that we come this week, many of us come with many trials, many problems, many issues in our lives. Some of us come with financial problems. Some of us come and have are having marital problems. Some of us are having child problems. Some of us are having parent problems. Some of us are having problems with other priesthood members. Some of us are having problems with our work. And we come with a whole host of problems. But I've learned that when we come to reunion, if you can set those problems aside, just set them aside just momentarily. Just momentarily set those problems aside and look at the people that are around you and look how you can serve them. The Lord will open up the windows of heaven and he'll, he'll pour out a blessing, beautiful blessing. And you'll go back and you realize, whoa, those problems, they're not, they're not there anymore. I don't have those issues anymore. Or it'll be reduced, or God will do something that will amaze you in your efforts to lose sight of yourself that Jesus Christ might increase. So I had that, uh, this great experience uh, in my last junior high and so I'm looking forward to my senior high years okay I'm getting ready to go to the senior high camp my first senior high camp I'm a fr- I finished my freshman year high school I'm going into 10th grade it's my first senior high of course you go to senior high and you're the youngest kid you know you look up to all the older kids all the older kids are there and you're looking forward to being with all these older kids and so I go and and they have this um, they have this uh, award ceremony okay and uh, while, while I'm there I get this award I'm presented with this award, and, and the award was something like, um, this is something of the week. It was something of the week, okay? And so I had grown quite a bit between my freshman and sophomore year. I'd grown, and uh, I ended up getting the chicken legs of the week award, the chicken legs. Now, I was okay with that, okay? I was okay with that. And hey, we can, we can live with that for the week. I'll be Mr. Chicken Legs, and that's okay. That's all right. But uh, there was a man there that was the cook. And uh, as it would have it, he attended church with me at Oak Grove. His name was Frank Engelbrick. Frank and Sheila, they cooked at all the youth camps back then. And he happened to be at that award ceremony, and he knew what my award was. And that award, it didn't last a week. It lasted about 10 years. Every time I saw Frank, 
It was, oh, hello, Mr. Chicken Legs. We're glad you're here, Mr. Chicken Legs. Thanks for coming and being with us, Mr. Chicken Legs, every time. In fact, I think if Frank was with us today and I was to pass away, he would try to talk my wife into putting something on my tomb tombstone that would say, here lies Mr. Chicken Legs, okay? Now, the beauty of this is for you young people, you young men, ages 10 to 20, 25, you guys, okay? If you feel like you got chicken legs, it's okay, because God pulled out this great miracle and I married a beautiful woman. And so if you got chicken legs, God will take care of that. It's all right. So I had this experience, so I had this great experience, and then I had this other experience. Well, it's not so good. There's chicken legs, but God is so good in, uh, in what we do. And so I got married, and uh, my wife and I, we started to come down to reunion. Now, our first reunion was down in southern Missouri, and we came down to reunions down there, and then we bought this grounds from the RLDS church. We bought these grounds, and so I, I, as a married man, then my wife and I, we started to come to reunion, we came to reunion here, and I remember one time coming, and we got here early because we always taught the children's class. The kids' class, we taught down in Happy Hollow. We spent a lot, of time, a lot of time down in those classrooms down there. And we taught the children down there, the, typically the third and fourth grade, if I remember right. We kind of really liked that age. And uh, we had them down there, and, uh, and I can remember coming down one time, and we came early. There was nobody down here. And I, and I got out of the car, and I could sense the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord was so powerful already here. And I remember it because I had to leave. We'd forgotten something, and I had to leave, and I had this dread within my heart, this dread, this feeling of, oh, I don't want to leave. I can't believe the Spirit of the Lord is here already in such abundance. And so I had that experience, and I, I remember that. And I've all, that's always stuck with me. And so I know that the Lord has been, uh, been very good at, uh, at blessing me all these years, in these camps, and so I encourage you as young people to continue to, uh, to pursue the Lord and to pursue him in your life and to do those things that would bring him and draw him closer to you. And I got one more experience I want to share that happened in this room that my older brother shared back at the, he preached at the CMRB reunion, the Central Missouri reunion, and he shared this experience, and I remember it also, okay? Now as a kid, growing up, you look up, back then we had these guys that I, I thought of as being the... Uh, the few good men, or the guys that we really looked up to, uh, were great spiritual giants. And one of those guys was um, a guy named Roy Weldon. And Roy Weldon, he attended the Central Missouri branch. In fact, I think he attended, he lived in Warrensburg. I went to his house a time or two with my dad. He, my, my dad said that he, Roy Weldon's kind of responsible for getting him into Book of Mormon archaeology. My dad's been big into archaeology and the Book of Mormon, and that Roy Weldon played a role in that. And so uh, Roy Weldon was here in a prayer meeting, and they had about this many people. It was, it was a pretty good prayer meeting, and um, it was going on in the morning like we have them at reunion. And uh, the guy that presided, though, was a guy that they brought in. He was a stake president that they brought in, and, and, and they, our understanding, or my understanding at 8 to 10 years old at that point in time was, was um, that, um, that they brought him in because we weren't voting the way they want us to vote. And so they wanted us to, he was going to come in and kind of help us see the light, if you will. He's one of these kind of guys. And, and so he comes in, and he's leading the prayer meetings that day. And I see Roy Weldon stand up. And, and as a kid, when Roy Weldon stood up, 
Well, I paid attention. I wasn't paying attention a whole lot other times, but when Roy Weldon stood up, I paid attention, and Roy begins to speak. And as he begins to speak then, this man in charge, he interrupts Roy, and the way I remember it, he says, Roy, we don't need another sermon. That's what he told him. And my jaw, 10-year-old jaw, just hit the floor. I was just like, I can't believe this guy is speaking to Roy Weldon like that. I was in shock that this thing happened. Of course, I think everybody else was, and it got talked about it, I'm sure, after the service. There might be some people here that were here at that service. I know my brother was. But then what happened was just uh, a week or two later, I'm at home with my parents, and we find out, we find out that that stake president died of a massive heart attack. And I was, I was shocked. I was like, whoa, you don't want to mess with Roy Weldon, do you? That's what I found out as a kid. You don't want to mess with the, uh, with, the, with the great men of the church because that man died. And that made a serious impression in me and on me about who God was and his nature. So it was a very powerful thing for me in that way. I want to talk a little bit about this diligence and knowledge. I think there's something the Lord wants us to understand tonight a little bit about diligence. And I think that all these attributes that we're looking at, they come from one source, don't they? There's a source of all these attributes. There's a source for the, uh, for the humility and the love and the diligence and the knowledge. There's a source that that comes from. And this, this man, a guy named Watchman Nee, was a Chinese guy. And he, um, he lived in China many years ago, and he was very good at uh, promoting the Christian religion in China. And so uh, over time, he wrote some books, and one of those books is called The Normal Christian Life. And, and in there, he, he, write, he tells a little story, and I want to share that story because I think it illustrates, I think, what God wants us to understand tonight about, uh, about these, these attributes on a whole, all these attributes we're looking at this week, okay? So he writes this story, and he, and he comes in, and he's, he's apparently in America because he's meeting with a, with a couple in America, and they lack, this couple lacks so much what we lack, and I've heard it said this week a couple, by a couple different people, they lack one of these attributes, okay? And so he says, I once arrived, arrived in America in the home of a couple who requested me to pray for them. I inquired the case of their trouble. Oh, Mr. Nee, we have, we have been in need, excuse me. Oh, Mr. Nee, we have been in a bad way lately, they confessed. We are so easily irritated by the children, and during the past few weeks, we have both lost our tempers several times a day. We are really dishonoring the Lord. Will you ask him to give us patience? So the problem is patience. That's what they say. Hey, we got this problem. We're not, we're not patient. We're having issues with our kids. Okay? And then he says, and then Mr. Brother Nee says, this is one thing I cannot do. I said, and they said, what do you mean? They asked. I mean the one thing is certain, I answered, and that is, God, and that, is that God is not going to answer your prayer. At that, they said in amazement, do you mean to tell us that we've gone so far that God is not willing to hear us when we ask him to make us patient? 
Is God not going to hear us? We're going to ask him for this patience, and God's not going to hear us? No, I don't mean that. uh, No, I don't mean quite that. But I would like to ask you if you've ever prayed in this respect. You have? But did God answer? No. And do you know why? Because you have no need of patience. Then the eyes of the wife, and I like this word he uses, blazed. The eyes of the wife blazed up. And she said, what do you mean? We do not, we do not, we do not need patience, and yet we get irritated the whole day long. What do you mean? And he says, Brother Nee says, it is not patience you're in need of. It is Christ. If ever we need Christ in the church today, It is now. We need him. So the next time you think about praying for one of these attributes, thinking about praying and asking the Father to give you his son. Give me Christ. If we have Christ, we're going to be very patient. If we have Christ, we're going to be extremely loving. If we have Christ, we're going to be extremely knowledgeable. If we have Christ, we have everything. And that's what God wants for us, for the saints of God to have Christ. Now this diligence, if you want to do a study on diligence, I recommend 1 Nephi chapters 1 through 7. 1 Nephi chapters 1 through 7, it talks about diligence. It talks about Lehi. It talks about him being diligent in keeping the commandments of God. Okay? And then uh, in Doctrine and Covenants, I went and looked in there, in Doctrine and Covenants, 36 times. It mentions this word diligence 36 times in the Doctrine and Covenants. I'm not going to read all 36 verses, but I'm going to read eight of them to you so you can begin to get a feel that in the early restoration, what was important to the Father. As the Father gave this information to Joseph, and Joseph recorded these revelations, this was what was important to the Father. It says, Be faithful and diligent in keeping the commandments of God, and I will encircle thee in the arms of my love. Wherefore, if he shall be diligent in keeping my commandments, he shall be blessed unto eternal life. Let every man be diligent in all things. Now this Moses plainly taught to the children of Israel in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God. Seek me diligently and ye shall find me. Seek ye diligently and teach one another words of wisdom. Seek diligently, pray always, and be believing, and all things shall work together for your good. All victory and glory is brought to pass unto the uh, are brought to pass unto you through your diligence, faithfulness, and prayers of faith. Wherefore, now let every man learn his duty and act in the office in which he's appointed in all diligence. Okay, so here we have this this great. Uh, theme in the Doctrine and Covenants and Latter-day Revelation about being diligent. So I came up with a list of things that I thought might ring a bell with you possibly. Pretty short overall. I know we can make this list very, very long. Very easy to make this list very long. But these are things maybe that uh, we need to consider in our own lives and think about maybe I need to be more diligent 
in this area. Of course, the first uh, three I've got are the big three, which is study, our prayer time, and fasting. Big three. Do we need to be more diligent in those? How about making it to church on time? I'm probably the only family that's kind of maybe lacks in that, making it to church on time. How about coming to church on Sunday night and Wednesday night? We have our great gathering Sunday morning. We don't see as many people Sunday night, maybe Wednesday night. Do we need more diligence in our church attendance? Do we need more diligence in our family worship? Are we doing that once a week? Are we doing that once a month? Are we doing that once a year? Are we doing that four or five times a week? Do we need more diligence in our family worship? What about diligence in raising our children? Are we diligent in teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ? And how about being diligent in witnessing to people at work? Witnessing to people at work, being diligent in paying our tithes and offerings? And how about us men being more diligent in loving our wives as Christ loved the church? Things to think about, things to consider in our diligence. Priesthood ministry, how about home ministry? Do we need, as a priesthood member, do we need to be more diligent in our home ministry? And then I, this one came to mind as Melchizedek priesthood. Better preparations when we preside over services. Are we more diligent? Do we need to be more diligent in our preparations when we preside over services? And after having gone all through that, we get down to where, you know, Jared Smith had an issue in his life, okay? And this issue really, it's not a visible issue. It's, a, it's an issue that lies down below the surface. It's an issue that's hidden, hidden from the natural eye. And I think it's an issue in some ways that all of us kind of deal with, okay? And so uh, uh, in, in Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, verse 31, we have this verse. And I'm very acquainted with these people in my life. I'm very qualified to talk about this because I was in this, what I could call a really long line, okay? It says, for the day soon cometh that men shall come before me to judgment, to be judged according to their works. And many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name did many wonderful works. Now, I just listed a whole lot of wonderful works that we do, okay? And then it says, and then will I say, ye never knew me, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. They didn't know Jesus. So what's the issue? What's going on here with these people that have the appearance of diligence, and yet, somehow, they haven't come to know the Lord Jesus? What's going on? What is it that's taking place? Well, it's something that's inside of us. It's something that's down below the surface. And the word I'm going to use with it is motive. That's the key in our diligence. If our motive isn't pure, our diligence isn't going to deliver us to where we think we're going. Okay? If our motive isn't pure, what's the pure motive? Well, what's God's motive? God's motive towards us is what? It's love. Love is the great motive of God. And when our motive isn't love, when we have other motives, our diligence isn't going to deliver us into the kingdom of God. 
It's not going to take us to where we think it's where we think we're going to go. Because our motive isn't pure. And I had this problem. This was this is my problem. I had the Lord speak to me and call me and and uh, ask me to walk down a road that I said that uh, I would never walk down. And yet, because the Lord called me and asked me to do it, I said, okay, Lord, you're asking. I know you love me. I'll go down that road. And I went down that road, and I spent years in that road. And when that road was finished, I said, all right, I've lived out the will of the Father. I've done these things. The blessing's going to come, this great, marvelous thing that's going to come, and it's going to be beautiful, it's going to be wonderful. And it, and it didn't happen. In fact, it was almost the opposite of that. It was almost the opposite. It's like things begin to fall apart. Things, and, and I began to get angry. And I began to be like these guys. I began to say, didn't I do what you asked me to do? Why is this happening? This isn't supposed to happen. This, these things aren't right. I've done these things. I've got you bound. Why do I say that? Dr. Kevin, section 81. Dr. Kevin, section 81 says... I, the Lord, am bound when you do what I say, but when you do not do what I say, you have no promise. And I knew I had done what the Lord had said. I knew that. And yet things weren't turning out the way I thought they should. They weren't working out the way, the way uh, I thought they should. And so Arthur Oakman tells this great story which really enlightened my mind to this topic. He tells this story about a guy, a guy named John Rushton. John Rushton was an apostle in the church, and John Rushton was a... a uh, generation ahead of Arthur Oakman. And Arthur Oakman says he didn't like this guy. He, he wasn't a fan of this John Rushton guy. Uh, he was an oily rascal, I think is the way he put it, and he didn't like him. Uh, he had his reasons for that, but then he said he listened to John Rushton preach a sermon on um, the incarnation. And when Arthur Oakman heard that sermon, the Lord touched Arthur Oakman's heart and he changed it. He changed his heart, which changed his view. And so Arthur then began to realize he had a great love for this man, this John Rushton. You see, John Rushton was a pastor, and Arthur Oakman would follow John Rushton. And then John Rushton would move to the next congregation, Arthur Oakman would follow him. And everybody at those congregations where Arthur Oakman went, Arthur Oakman says, they all love John Rushton. Arthur, if anybody's going to baptize me, it's not going to be you, it's going to be John Rushton. That's what he was told. And so, you know, he's like, ah, I don't care for this guy. And so this man, this John Rushton, he has this experience. And I tell this, and, and I think if, if your motive is pure in your diligence, you will rejoice at the words of life that Brother Oakman bring. If your motive isn't really pure, there's a chance this could be kind of offensive to you, what he says. Okay? So he, he uh, talks about this, and you could listen to this. This is on his, uh, on his sermons where he's in Florida at a reunion in 1972. He passes away in 75, so he's 67 years old. He dies when he's 70. And so he's three years away from his death. And he shares this experience. He's about John Rushton. So John Rushton, he's in his office in St. Louis about 1928. And this lady walks in. And he, and he knows, John Rushton knows who the lady is. He knows her, and he knows she's a church member, but he's never seen her. It's like she never comes. And she comes in and she says, Brother, Brother John, I've, I've got terminal cancer. Would you administer to me, please? And Brother John says, yeah, I can do that. And so he administered to her, 
And right there on the spot, she was healed. Totally healed. Complete healing. Complete. Totally. And she walks out of the church, and she never comes back. And Brother Oakman relates it to the uh, nine lepers that never gave thanks, that never came back and thanked the Lord. She never came back. And he, God healed her completely, totally. And then he says, then there was this other lady, this other lady who got sick. But this lady, she was always at church. She had great church attendance. She paid her tithe. She made sacrificial offerings. She had such a spirit about her that when the apostles came through St. Louis, they wanted to stop off and see this lady. That's how attractive she was. The spirit that she had carried was so attractive, the apostles wanted to be with her. And this lady, she got sick. And I'm sure they'd miss her to her, I don't know how many times, but she didn't live. She died. And so Brother Ogden says this about this. He says, does it pay to serve God? Surely if God was in the business of healing anybody, he would heal this good woman who had been so faithful to him. Ah, but it just doesn't work out that way always. And then he says this. There are no good works that we can do that can bind God to do anything for us. None. I was offended by that. I didn't like that. Because my motive wasn't love. If I love the Lord Jesus, it doesn't matter what he does. I would have said what Job said. The Lord gave, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I said, cursed be the name of the Lord. You can't do that. And I was so, so, so wrong in my view of God and his nature. So wrong. You see, the disciples, they kind of suffered from this also. Jesus' disciples. Think about this. Jesus shows up on the scene. He sees Peter. He calls Peter. What does Peter have? What's Peter leaving? He's leaving a wife. He's leaving a house. He's leaving his job. He's leaving his whole way of life. And Peter follows Jesus. For three years, he follows this guy, sleeping under the stars. He watches Jesus. He listens to him. Jesus preaches the gospel of the kingdom. And so in Peter's mind, this gospel of the kingdom, he's thinking he's carving out a, a, a future in this, in this kingdom for himself. And he's thinking about this. He's thinking, where am I going to fit into the kingdom? Where am I going to sit in the kingdom? And he's thinking about that. And, 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 and he's, he's with Jesus, and he's there for three years, and he tries to do what Jesus says. They try to be diligent. They work at their diligence. They're working hard. And, what, and they get down and they travel into Jerusalem and we have two opposing views going on. We have Jesus' view over here and we have the disciples' view over here. The disciples' view was, hey, Jesus, he, he's going to go in there and he's going to get rid of those Romans. He's going to kick those guys out and we're going to return to the days of David and Solomon. We're going to be a great nation and I'm going to sit at his right hand. That's not Jesus' view. Jesus knows why he's going in. He knows why he's going into Jerusalem. 
And so you can imagine in Peter's heart, as Jesus is dying on the cross, as he's watching him die on the cross, Peter's saying, wait a minute, haven't I followed you these last three years? Haven't I made these sacrifices for you? You can't die on the cross. That's not allowed. I've given up my life to follow you. You see, if the disciples had loved Jesus, there would have been a lot more than three crosses on the hill of Calvary. But they didn't love him the way they needed to at that point in time. But it came. It came through the power of the Holy Ghost. It came to the disciples, and they ended up loving even as Jesus loved. So our motive, our motive is highly, highly important in our diligence towards God. If our motive isn't pure, our diligence isn't going to take us. It's not going to deliver us to where we think we're going. Now, how does, mo how does, how does uh, diligence relate to knowledge? Well, if we're not diligent and we don't have a pure motive, we'll never obtain the knowledge of God. We won't obtain it without diligence. We have to be diligent, but our motive must be pure, and that's really, really hard because there's all kinds of other reasons to keep the commandments other than love. A lot of other reasons. So lecture 7, verses 18b, this is talking about knowledge. He says that all things that pertain to life and godliness were given unto them through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And if the question is asked, how were they to obtain the knowledge of God? How do we obtain that knowledge? For there is a big difference between believing in God and knowing him. There's a big difference. Knowledge implies more than faith. And notice that all things that pertain to life and godliness were given through the knowledge of God. The answer is given through faith. They were to obtain this knowledge. And having power by faith to obtain the knowledge of God, they could obtain with it all other things which pertain to life and godliness. So it's through faith that we obtain the knowledge of God. So how do we obtain the faith then? Lecture 7, verse 20e. This is talking about Paul. This is where the rubber meets the road. Because to obtain the faith by which he could enjoy the knowledge of Jesus Christ, he had to suffer the loss of all things. The faith that brings the knowledge of God comes through dying with Jesus Christ. There is no authentic knowledge of Jesus Christ without the death of Jesus living in us in all its beauty and glory and wonder, which is the work of the Holy Ghost as we yield our hearts to him. The knowledge of the Lord is to have eternal life. Without the death of Christ, there is no eternal life. And so I know that the Lord wants to take us. He wants to take us into a position, into a place. I'm going to call it the inner circle. God has his inner circle of saints, and he wants all saints to come in 
to that inner circle with him. So I'm going to tell you a little illustration here of a story of a guy that I knew, a guy named George Williamson. George Williamson was a guy that grew up, uh, was probably born in the uh, 30s sometime, maybe in the 20s, because in 1944, on D-Day, he jumps out of a perfectly good airplane and parachutes behind enemy lines. D-Day, okay? And he, goes to, he ended up going to church with me. I ended up talking to him about it. He said he was coming down. He could see the bullets flying by him as he was coming down. And so uh, I talked to him a little bit about that, and, and, I, and as I thought about that, I thought of this illustration about George. Let's say that George uh, wanted to find out some other guys that had done that, that, that had done, been with him on D-Day. And so he gets online, and he searches, and he finds a couple guys, the guys that are still living, maybe 50 years later. And he, and he calls up those guys and says, hey, can you come on over to my house? My wife's going to fix a meal, all right? And we're going we're gonna to talk about the old times. We're going to go back and remember. We're going to go back and remember that which we've been through together. And so because George knew me and he knew that I was interested in airplanes and flying and all that, and George invited Jared to come along, okay? I think I'd be absolutely thrilled to sit with those guys and listen to them these guys that jumped at airplanes on D-Day. What an amazing thing. And so I would go to George's house and I would sit there with him and I would listen. And you can, I can imagine in my mind's eye these, mind, these men sitting around this table eating this meal and they begin to talk. They begin to talk about what happened after the war. They begin to talk about their, uh, their when they got married, having kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, what their can, grandkids are doing, and all these things about their life. But then it would turn to that fateful day. It would turn to that day when they offered a sacrifice on behalf of their country. And I would be sitting there listening and I would just be soaking it in. I can't believe I'm getting to sit with these guys and listen and talk about this. And I'm sure they would begin to talk about what they saw as men around them were killed, what they heard, what they smelled, the horror and the utter tragedy watching men die on that day. And those men, they would enter into a fellowship together, and there would be Jared Smith, and he would be sitting there, and I would love those men, and because of what they'd done, I'd want to be a better American. Because of what they'd done, I'd maybe fly my flag more often. Maybe I'd want to get more involved in my civic duty but with everything I had, I couldn't join them in their sacrifice. I couldn't join them in their fellowship. I would be on the outside. Now you say, well, yeah, of course, Brother Smith. You were born 24 years later. The beauty of the sacrifice of Jesus is that it's eternal. The sacrifice of Jesus is eternal, which means every man and every woman through the church of Jesus Christ has access to his death. Every one of us. And that God wants to bring us from this outer ring, he wants to bring us in to that inner circle. That's where he wants to take us.
And when he gets enough priesthood, when he gets enough Melchizedek priesthood in to that inner circle, it'll change the whole church. The whole complexion of what's going on in the Restoration Branch movement will change when God brings men in. But he can't force you. You have to surrender. And without surrender, we can never obtain what God wants us to obtain. The kingdom of God, it lies before us. You can't leave reunion and be the same person. Can you? You have to change. I've got to change. My heart needs to change. God loves us. And I love you. And I would do anything to help you come in the presence of the Almighty God. Thank you, Brother Jared. Did any of those things that he mentioned there that he listed off bring home to you? Study? Make it to church on time? Sunday night attendance? Family worship? Raising our children? Witnessing to others? Tithing priesthood ministry? Attention to our wives? Elders preparations? I think I could improve in several of those, those areas, but as he's mentioned duty and obligation and guilt aren't the motivating factors to be more diligent in these areas of opportunities in our life, but love sure is. When that love is devoted to our Savior Jesus Christ, we can see uh, much progress in these things. We see much progress in the church. Thank you for sharing these things with us, Brother Jared. The day in which we live of prosperity and comfort and ease does not necessarily reinforce a, uh, the attribute of diligence. Quite the opposite, and the natural man makes that even more difficult. I believe if we do tend to these things, which are required attributes of, of the saints, then again, we'll see much, much progress in the church. So words of truth have been spoken. In your hearing this night, what will you do with them? How will they apply in your life? Consider these things as you rest your heads upon your pillow this night and the days ahead that um, they might sink deep into our hearts and, and cause uh, change to happen within our very lives. Let's close with the singing of hymn number 281 in our hymnals. Hymn number 281, and then after this, Elder Brian O'Neill will close us with a benediction.
Our Father heart in heaven, we, with grateful hearts, thank you for this uh, time that we have had to gather in this place of worship. Father, our hearts are enlarged and we are thankful for the uh, words and the challenges that have been uh, given to us. Father, I pray that uh, each one of us would hear the call of thy son to be more diligent, to give more earnest heed unto the words of eternal life. Father, I pray that the uh, spirit that has been promised to the faithful might be given to us in greater power, that we might uh, come uh, before you in greater unity, that we would bow before you, Father, with uh, open hearts and open ears, contrite spirits to receive thy pleasing word. And Father, tonight we are uh, grateful uh, for the love that you have expressed to us in calling us uh, to greater obedience. Father, as we uh, close this service, I pray that you would uh, bless each one who uh, has been able to attend. Father, I pray that your spirit would uh, enter into our hearts in greater measure and give us uh, the strength to continue in our day of probation. So Lord, uh, be with us now as we close this service. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>